This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Walk down the winding path. Don't mind the spooks and monsters. They stay hidden within the trees. There are mysteries in this world that you need to know, and paranormal truths that need to be told. Come, step up into the caravan, where we share tales of old, as well as new accounts about things you thought only existed in your nightmares. October lore folks, and welcome to another special Halloween episode as we celebrate the spooky season all month long. A huge shout out to our patrons, Jose, Jake, Natalie, Joseph, Victoria, Donna, Kadrick, Jim, and Robin. Thank you for your patronage. If you are interested in becoming a patron, just search for the Caravan of Lore on Patreon. You can find us as well on all social media. And if you have a story you would like to share, please email me at thecaravanoflore at gmail.com. On tonight's episode, we have Mel Scahan, who is a member of the Yakima Nation and Sasquatch Guide, who was interviewed on the TV series Expedition Bigfoot. Welcome into the caravan. I am so excited to have you here with us. Tonight, we have on Mel Scahan. Yes. Well, welcome. We're so excited to have you here. Well, I'm and excited to, to be speaking with you. I, you know, it really is an honor. A couple months ago, I ended up having my own uh, Sasquatch encounter that I believe to be one. And I've since talked about it on Base Out Radio and Into the Fray Radio and some other podcasts. And you were one of the first people that I actually reached out to once I was ready to actually start talking about it. And our conversations and what I had learned from watching the show that you were on, Expedition Sasquatch, really brought me a lot of understanding and peace. And so I would like to kind of jump right in and ask, when was the first time that you ever heard of Sasquatch? I heard of Sasquatch when I was a, a young kid, young boy. Um, my grandparents used to, my great grandparents used to take us into the woods for uh, summers at a time. My my parents were glad to get rid of the kids, you know. They sent them to the <laughs> grandparents. They happened to be up into his favorite camping area located on the Yakima Reservation in Central Washington. He would uh, tell us different stories about the uh, areas. Uh, a lot of them, of course, he was a great storyteller and he such detail about 
certain things. And when I mm. would travel with and talk to my coworkers as I returned to the reservation to work for the forestry program, I tell them these stories. And it was like, never heard that one before. And I was like, so I knew my oh, grandfather wow. was making things up as, you know, just to comfort the kids and everything to make them safe in the woods, you know, because you've got bears and, you know, got cougars. Anything that mm-hmm. could drag you away is is out there. Yes. And, and so Sasquatch was one of them. And, you know, he didn't get too into terrorizing us about it, but just letting us know that there were other people out there that live in the woods and uh, not not mm. to hurt anybody, but as protectors and guides for us as we were out there. What age were you when you actually had your first encounter? I was uh, probably about 25, 26 when I had my actual first uh, interaction with him. Would you mind kind of telling the audience a little bit about that encounter? I held one of the best jobs in the world if you're in the Sasquatch phenomenon. And being out in the woods you know, year round and having this opportunity Mm. to uh, interact, come across, you know, those types of encounters with them. And the very first one that I had with them was uh, working in the wintertime and working alone, having one follow me for a good two to three hours as I was working in this thick uh, lodgepole pine stand in this uh, creek. I had no idea what it was. I've heard the bears, which was similar to mm-hmm. the sounds that he was making. And uh, I mean, it was a low rumble growl uh, mm-hmm. as it started out. It was like this. Uh, and when I heard that, I was like, right. you know, bear, you know, I'd be careful there. And I kept working. And then, you know, I would go, it would take me on average about 15, 20 minutes to do my work in each work plot of collecting mm-hmm. timber data. And then I would move on another 150 feet to the next plot. And then it would do that same audio back at me. And I was just like, you know what, Bear, just stay over there. <laughs> right. I kept my work going. And I wasn't afraid of it. Two plots later, it kept paralleling me, staying in the dark, thicker portions of the timber. And finally, I was just like, I don't know what this is. And it's not beginning to feel like a bear encounter. So I dropped down to the ground to get under the foliage of the trees, and I couldn't see anything. It was so dark. That didn't start easing my mind any better because I would be able to see an animal because it's under hiding cover. It's protected and do anything to try to view it, then it's going to run away. But this thing stayed. And uh, Mm. so I went to the next plot and then it did it again. And I was like, all right, I don't know what you are, but I'm going to go ahead and call it a day. You can have your area back. I'm going to go back to the work truck. And so instead of walking straight back the direction I came, I had no idea what this was at the time. And then I took a big half circle in the opposite direction back to my work truck. And it it was about a mile, mile and a half around the path that I took. And then when I finally got back to my truck, as I got closer to the back end of the truck, I heard this tree being pushed. It got pushed four different times, three different times. You heard this smack, 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 and then it went down to the ground. And then I put my arms up in the air, and then I was like, I'm out of here. I'm not coming back here for a while. I'll see you later. And then I (laughs) drove out of there as fast as I could. (laughs) So that was my first encounter with them. And after your first encounter, how did you feel going back out into the woods in general? Well, 
the work wasn't completed in this spot. And I had at least another three hours of work by myself to complete. And I went down, I have two other coworkers that work in the same department. And I, I told them what had happened that day when I got back down to the office. And I said, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to need help finishing this area. And they was like, no way. Nope. Nope. You're by yourself on this one. We already know what that is. And no. uh, I chose another job site and finished that up and then came back. And then on high alert, because I took in the same pathway that I had to get to uh, my incomplete work area and expecting to be followed again. But uh, there were no sounds, but I was on high alert and I did the work as fast as I could and as accurately as I could to get out of there. I wasn't followed when I went back. It was it took me about three weeks to go back. Wow. So. But now today, you go out and you explore in the hopes of getting closer to them now, right? Over the years on the Yakima Reservation, it's really not Mm -hmm. talked about in the open. Any information that is shared with me is done by witnesses that are you know, almost reluctant to share any type of information until I, you know, I tell them my experiences. And then as the repertoire keeps going on, they feel more comfortable to tell me. And if they would like, they could take me back out to the site. And many times I've been taken out to the sites where these encounters have happened. And they have been in work areas that I have been in prior. Some of them range from just vocalizations to bluff charges to really loud roars and ripping trees out of the ground, throwing woody debris and, you know, just tactics to to chase people out. After I had my encounter, I haven't been back out. <laughs> I, I, I've I wanted to go. And part of me feels like I do feel called and I want to face my fears. So for me, it's interesting to hear about how somebody has an encounter and then they're willing to continue to go back out or they turn into a researcher and then they're researching it, which I do understand because, you know, at that point you're facing your fears and you're trying to understand your encounter and, and all of that. And so it's just it's fascinating to me. And I would like to touch on, okay, so there's two camps, the side that talks about Sasquatch being more of a hominid or just a regular animal. And then there's the other side that talks about them being spiritual beings. And I did find a quote from you online that says, this thing that's out there, it's got a lot of medicine. It's got a lot of power to it. Spiritually, they can take you. And I would love to go into that if you're willing. Yeah. To put it in our terms, I mean, we have mediums, we have psychics, we have folks that have this special ability to communicate in ways that really aren't explained to us properly. You know, I mean, they've done studies on on their brain waves and, you know, put them into special measuring devices and done all kinds of things to see how their brain works. And it has been not found on how this is done. To put this in the, the Sasquatch realm and into their perspective, they have the same type of folks in their communities, just like we do, that Mm. are able to communicate in that way. So that's one thing I've always tried to get people to understand is that everything that we know of teaching, of passing on uh, the special, some people that have these special abilities to communicate and open themselves up to other people, they have those as well. And so that's how we are side by side with each other. And it's not 
I hear people calling it like, you know, what is it? The woo, I guess. And right. It's, and, it, and it's not woo. I mean, you don't you don't go out. You know, people seek these people to be able to communicate to the other side, to use their abilities. And that's all they're doing, too, is using that form of communication to get in touch with those that have that sensitive portion in their body. Mm-hmm. And so when you're able to, you know, people call it mind speak to project your thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, you project your thoughts to a medium or someone of that sort. They're able to pick up on those thoughts. And my mom mm-hmm. told me this story a long time ago when she was a little girl that her great great grandparents of that generation, she was outside playing as a little girl. Then she came into the house and uh, both her aunts that were there in the house were in rocking chairs and they were knitting and mm. they were smiling with the, at each other and, uh, you know, making nodding gestures and, and then just having this great old time and even laughing when no words were mm. even spoken. So, I mean, it's it's not a woo thing, it, you know, and it's not a Native American thing. It's an all around ability that folks have. And if they just, you know, harness and are able to go out and get away from all this lower valley clutter and go up into the mountains, they can open themselves up and have those types of communications with them without trying to call them in, harass them. You know, they already know you're there. Mm. Uh, they hear you drive up. And uh, they hear you honking a horn. They hear the kids playing. I mean, they they hear you out in their areas. So they know you're there. They just need to know who you are and what you are doing there to either protect themselves or come into your space and enjoy you while you're there. Right. See, and this is it's fascinating because after I had my encounter, I had come home. So it was over in Ohio and I'd come home. And one night I had a vision. Now, I am somebody that um, years ago I was learning how to do the channeling and I do intuitive tarot reading. And I had a vision of this female Sasquatch that had come forward and she the energy was so powerful. And this is also another reason why I know that this wasn't just something that was in my head. There was this emotion and this energy that really came over me. I really felt in that moment that I understood why we had the experience that we did. And there was that message from her or them that we have come so far from where we used to be, that we have disconnected. Like what you're talking about, if we could go up into the mountains and just be and center ourselves and we don't have to antagonize or whoop and holler to try to get their attention. There was a quote that said that everything in our world is natural, but when we don't understand it, we slap those, you know, supernatural and paranormal labels on it. And thinking about the Sasquatch and thinking about what you had just said about how we all have these abilities and they have these abilities. It takes the woo right out of it because it shows that, you know what, this is natural. Right. And that's one thing that I try to educate people when I'm out into the woods. And most people that I have been with understand this. 
and have mm-hmm. changed the way that they uh, go out and not necessarily do research, but just to learn and to expose right. themselves to the old way that we all used to communicate. What's fascinating about it is that you do make connections out there with certain ones, not all of them, but certain ones. Once you make that communication with them and you keep returning to that area, your interaction is going to be educational. You will Mm -hmm. relearn the way we were before industrialization and computers and everything else that has boggled our heads and get back to the natural ways again. Right. And I also, on the show, there was something that you talked about as well, about not taking... Because this was something that was interesting, too, when I had my encounter and we were using the spirit box to communicate, they had said that something had been taken from them. And if something had been taken, they want it back. Now, you had mentioned on the show as well that if something is taken from them, they want it back. And I didn't know if you could go into that story a little bit more. Yes, um, this was something that I had done while at work, so-called do research or, you know, educate yourself on on the different things that you find of theirs out there. Um, You know, you you Mm -hmm. do measurements, you know, to try to compare data with other researchers that come across nests or beds or travel routes or travel areas or living areas. I, on one occasion found an area where one individual had been using a hillside as more of a guard post. And he Mm. posted himself up into some light timber about three quarters of a mile up from a main road so that he could visualize Mm. and see all vehicles, uh, human traffic going in on this road and then watching all the human traffic leave. And so once the area was clear, to my knowledge, you know, he just alerts the other ones that it's safe to move about, mm-hmm. that you know, nobody's around anymore. Uh, so in this little lookout post or, or nest, I found there were mm-hmm. Sasquatch hares or Bigfoot hares in this woven nest and then in a downed log right next to it that he used to uh, put his arm down on, which was weird. So mm-hmm. I collected the hares and then uh, I uh, left the area and it was within five years that I was, this is still emotional to me to this day, but I was in company of a medicine man and doing mm-hmm. a, um, like a house cleansing of a spirit mm-hmm. removal of a home. During this ceremony, I was told that somebody from your past that has passed on, mom, brother, sister, aunt, some relative or friend will come visit you. And these spirits outside the home will be asked to come into the house and then help guide the spirit out, not force it out like a lot of Mm -hmm. other folks do. And um, so during this ceremony, I had that Sasquatch come to me and Mm. uh, he appeared not well. He Yeah, he appeared in front of me. It was pitch black, so I couldn't see him, but I could hear him. the drum that was being played and the song being sung at that time. When he came into the living room where we were all located, he started to uh, jump to the beat of the drum. He mm-hmm. started vocalizations of, you know, probably his language at me. And he was yelling at me at the tone that was being projected at me. And as this continued on, he was moving around the room and there were other people there and there were items on the floor, which I thought were going to be destroyed. But at the end of the song, after he was done vocalizing and yelling at me and 
he started walking back down the hallway and I could hear each step as he left that room and then he was gone. So the medicine man went around to each individual that was in the house and said, you had an uncle, you had a friend, blah, 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 you know, so on going around the room. And then when he got to me, he says, you have something attached to you that you shouldn't have. You took something and it wants it back. Someone in the room said that I had hairs and then I thought back and I said, yeah, I do have hairs, but I don't have them on me. They were at my work desk in an envelope. And uh, he says, you may be ignorant in the ways that you do your chasing or hunting or whatever you want to call it of these people. But after I inform you of what was here, who it was and why he's here and give you these steps to follow in order to make peace with it, you won't be ignorant in the ways that you uh, have been in the past. And if you continue your journey, then it will come back on you and he will do anything possible to give back what you've taken from them. So um, he gave me the ceremony I had to perform. I had to go back out to the uh, area that I collected the hairs from, did all the steps. And then when I was done, I thought projected out to it. I go, I've done everything that I possibly could to make sure everything between us is is okay and, and safe for my family. I go, are we okay? And then down below me, he vocalized. He gave me the longest howl oh. I've heard. And he just mm-hmm. he just let it out this Whoa. And uh, and I said I don't speak Sasquatch, but I'm guessing that we're we're good, we're okay. <laughs> and right. I, and then I packed up and and I walked back to my car and then I went home. And ever since then, it's made me you know not try to prove this being to others but you know to, it brought proof to myself that they exist in the special type of uh, powers and, and communication that they can have with people and uh, so that uh, right. also goes along with the lines of you know I don't collect anything anymore I don't do any pick anything up in the woods anymore I leave it as it as it has been for generations and uh, so, and then I mm-hmm. try to pass it on to people. I mean, it's exciting in everything, in every way that you want to prove to yourself that they exist, but you got to be careful in the way that you are trying to prove it to yourself. By taking something right. of theirs, they eventually will contact you and say, hey, I want this back because I don't want anybody else to know about me. Right. No, and I can't thank you enough for sharing that with all of us. It's beautiful and very, very important advice. Something that to me, it really resonates deeply because my own, with my own personal experience, physically being out there and then having the spiritual experience that I did later after I came home. I could never go out there in the way of, you know, all the equipment and the whooping and the hollering and and everything. It's definitely, um, if I meant to have an actual encounter with them physically again, then yeah, I just, I want to go about it as respectfully as I can. Yes, yes. I mean, it's just like if, as I tell other people, I mean, when you have visitors come over, those visitors that you have are known to you. And then, you know, Mm. we're to be of high respect to be invited into that home. That's the same type of interaction, the high respect that you got to pay them while you're in their home. In our legends, we 
if we're out uh, in the woods, uh, whether we're gathering foods or medicines or, or hunting, then anything, if we know that they are there by uh, them vocalizing or smelling them or uh, seeing their tracks in the ground, uh, whatever we've collected or hunted that day, and if uh, we are supposed to leave it for them. So mm. huckleberries, we turn over and leave it for them because we basically just raided their, their lunchbox or their, their refrigerator. As far as the animals, it's hard enough for man to hunt an animal with a, a high-powered rifle. Just think of how a, how a Sasquatch has mm. to stalk an animal in order to get close to it and use his hands and his, his body to hunt it. So as a hunter, uh, anything that I've taken out of the woods, I usually cut up pieces and, and then leave it up in the trees for them so that you know they mm. make a good meal, uh, an easy meal without having to put in all that uh, stocking right. and everything. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I had a, another question for you, but I, <laughs> my question was going to be, what was your, what has been your most powerful experience? But it sounds like, I mean, that one that you shared with us just now was, was very, very powerful. I mean, how many experiences would you say that you've had in total? Oh, geez, over the 26 years of working with the forestry program for the Yakima Nation, man, I, you know, I've collected over a thousand stories from um, different enrolled members, uh, workers, um, people mm -hmm. that go up, recreate or gather foods. Boy, personal, I've had 400, 450 experiences alone wow. with them. And uh, each one of them just from the minor of them announcing that I've I'm in the area by wood knocking or whistling or whooping mm -hmm. and then hearing mm -hmm. others in the area respond to those calls to actual right. a visual encounter, having coworkers or friends that don't respect the woods and have, having them being bluff charged, screamed at or have rocks thrown at them. And then once I, they come to being and try to explain everything, I walk them through each step that they had done while they're out there so that they can learn from it. Just right. like I was taught from the medicine man that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. once I teach you this, then you'll, you'll know never to do this again. Right. Oh, that's and incredible. I've had tents pushed down on us, a two-man tent that one had visited us and he at uh, like about two o'clock in the morning was pushing down at the top of the tent and then letting it go and then lifting the tent corner and then going back into pushing the tent all the way down to our faces. And uh, so you could mm -hmm. see the big hand being pushing the fabric down. If you announce your intentions, like we always do out there, you know, they, mm -hmm. they come in when you're asleep. So that's how they move in, knowing that in your unconscious state, snoring or, or breathing loudly, and then they could freely mm -hmm. move about. And then once they hear you wake up and then they kind of are more on high alert. And then if they hear you moving around, then they leave and then they wait for you to go right oh, back wow. to sleep again. And then they'll come back in. And I've seen this done multiple wow. times by them. I mean, tapping on the tent to see if you're awake and then being able to tell the others because there's usually one or more in their group that has come in. And if we announce that we're coming out and you know respectful to them, I'll say, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm going to be coming out. Mm. Then, then it gives them time to leave. Then I go outside and either go to the car or grab something to drink or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then go back into the tent. And then if they want to come back in, they're more than welcome to come back and uh, do what wow. they were doing before. I mean, they're, they're fascinated with everything. 
what we consider everyday items to us, like children's crinkly toys, magnets, mm. marbles, colorful things, small little light-up objects, they don't have that type of technology. To us, it's ordinary, and uh, we use it every day. So they're fascinated with those items. Wow. Gosh, that's just incredible. Now, so you said they tapped on the tent to see if yeah. you were awake, but why push it down? <laughs> I don't know why he did that. My wife and I still don't understand why this one was so playful uh, that he <laughs> had to push the limits to see how far he could go, I guess. Wow. I'm sure we're not the only ones that camped in this area that they've done this to. I mean, they've, you know, they, they learn the behaviors of humans over time. I mean, they hear, you know, they hear the children playing. They hear happy times by that's why we go out to nature. But when you're going out mm -hmm. to nature to four-wheel drive, tear up the property, to, you know, shoot guns and do all this other right. loud, obnoxious stuff, you're going to have a different type of encounter with them. They're not going to like that noise. I mean, we yell at our kids to turn their stereos down or, you know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. Based on the hand size, do you think, that, was it full grown or possibly a juvenile? I believe that just the size of the hands alone, which was two and a half times my hand size, I'm guessing that this one was probably about eight feet tall because he stood right over that tent easily. And oh. he wasn't alone. He had another one with him that I could hear shuffling around uh, in the trees and they were communicating. That one was communicating oh, wow. the one in the, uh, that was right above us. And I heard him growl and I heard him mumble a couple of things and mm. then shuffling of the, in the leaves. Wow. And now that makes me, that's another question that I have too. A lot of the times when I'm hearing these encounters and something that I experienced as well, I did hear, it was like a very, very low growl, but it was so quiet that it made me question, did I really just hear that? Mm -hmm. And nobody else, nobody else heard it. And I've heard that in encounters that some people will hear something that other people don't. Do you yeah. have any? Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, sometimes that growl is just directed at you to get your attention. And oh. I've had it happen in like six different locations from Washington State to Oregon and Utah, where this low rumble growl is directed right mm -hmm. at you. And sometimes it feels like electricity going through you. And, right. Uh, so, and the person that was standing next to you or in the camp with you or anything like that, they didn't hear it or they didn't feel it. And that's because that sound was projected at you. Wow. That's incredible. And like I said, my first encounter with that one, where the first rumbled growl was, you know, was directly at me. And uh, uh, it wasn't until I fully understood what was happening to me that I started feeling that electricity in throughout my body, especially mm -hmm. my hand. And uh, so I would open and close and make a fist and wiggle my fingers around to see if my hand was asleep. And it wasn't. I mean, I was, oh, wow. I was holding equipment at the time and it, this tingle uh, that wow. was uh, happening to me during this low rumble growl. So is that just part of like a biological infrasound? Do you think there's anything spiritual to that? Well, I think that's just them, uh, you being fully aware. That's the key right there. You being fully aware of mm -hmm. where you're at and who's around you. And then they are, they're able to pick up on that, like uh, just like spirits are able to see mediums or psychics that have bright light on them and then they project themselves towards that person. So it's the same scenario. Perfectly put. Now, here's a question for you. 
you're out there, okay, so you're camping, you're out there. Let's say one was to come into camp, but they're kind of still out in the shadows, so you can't necessarily see him or her yet, but you hear them speak to you in a way that you can understand them and they understand you. If you were able to have a conversation, what are a couple of the things that you would either want them to know that you'd want to tell them or things that you'd like to ask? I think I'm at the point where I don't need to ask anything, but if they want to share, you know, they're more than welcome to, and they have Mm. certain, certain items to me. The communication of them asking or me feeling them when nobody else does, I'll sit there, you know, not converse with the rest of the group uh, in camp or if I'm alone in the tent, I'll converse to them who I am because what I've been taught in our old ways is that we introduce ourselves anywhere that we go to all people. We introduce ourselves as our parents first. My mom was Patricia. My my father was George, his father, and my mom's parents. And so that's how we introduce ourselves because that's how people get to know you. They mm. they know you as the person you are, but they also want to hear who you came from. Right. That makes sense. And so that's how I introduce myself to make sure that they understand that I know and I that I understand who they are, why I've entered their area. Right. I really love that. The whole thing is about respect. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's what I, that's how I respect them nowadays. No, that's beautiful. That is definitely what I would love the chance to be able to do if I was able to have another encounter or go to where they are again. I do want to ask, because you had said that you did have an encounter where you physically saw one. Yes. Would you mind going into that story a little bit? No, it, it's a two-dayer, and it's a lesson learned by my coworker. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, we were uh, looking for our a walk into a job site that uh, required us to hike in about a mile down this uh, severely steep slope, timbered, uh, mm-hmm. had other types of terrain to it, rock outcropping. And uh, as we're going, driving to the site to park the vehicle, one was standing out in the open uh, within 80 yards of us. And uh, he was caught out in the middle and he was trying to blend or stand as still as possible next to a ponderosa pine tree. He wow. had his right, right arm fully extended, leaning against the tree. My coworker was the one that saw when we left and got out of his view. My coworker was mumbling to me that he saw some back there, but wasn't quite sure what it was. And so I put the truck in reverse. And then as we're backing up, the truck came back into his view. And then that's when he dropped his right arm. And then my partner said, there he goes. And then he started to, he turned to his left two steps. And then that's when I saw him as he was taking his second step and turning 180 degrees from us and then started to quickly walk and then go into a full run after that. And then as he's running away from us, then he turned to his right and then I could see his shoulder movements. I could still see his head dark in color uh, after. And then he then he was gone. I mean, he was fast. I got out of the truck, grabbed all my work gear, had measuring tape with me from the timber measurements that we do and uh, mm-hmm. measured his initial stride at 
two feet and then it got to four feet uh, on his little oh. walk. And then mm-hmm. as he the high speed, he was well over a nine foot stride on a full run. Being a hunter, I was able to track his impressions in the soils and in the, the, the downwoody debris and was able to follow him step by step as he walked, ran and on a full run got out of our view. And uh, then we went and did a height estimation of just right around eight feet tall, black in color. He must have been a male because uh, um, I really couldn't tell from that distance if he was or wasn't uh, muscular. I mean, this thing was ripped. Wow. And like I said, he was fast. You know, after I tracked him down over the hillside, we just left him alone after that. We started talking about the event that just unfolded in front of us. And then we called it the day and then went back to the office. And then we came back out the next day, passing by that same spot where he was standing and then found our entry point to go downhill and geared up for our, our day. And as we got halfway, there was this rock scree slope uh, that was about 80%. And uh, my partner didn't want to walk back uphill. So we tried to find <laughs> in the area so that we could walk down and then somebody pick us up at the bottom and drive us around. And so we were trying like crazy to get a hold of somebody on the radio and nobody. And then he gave me the radio to give it a try. And then he took a couple of big rocks and he rolled them down the hill. Kids always do that, you know, just to see. So that's oh, what yeah. he did. <laughs> he rolled these rocks down the hill one by one. So he rolled the first one and then watched it. And then he took the second one and tossed it down there. And I said, hey, look, there's something down there. Mm-hmm. Whatever was down there ducked or jumped behind a tree. And I said, I'm going to go see what that was. And uh, so I started walking down there and I found where it was standing and I saw the impressions. And, and then it took off down the hill and 80%. So it's fairly steep. Right. He went from a standstill to a full-on run immediately because as he was going down the hill, his slide marks alone were nine feet long on his left foot and his right foot. So his foot hit, then he slid in the dirt down and then took his next step and slid down. And then I followed him and then looked at the branches that he broke and then he hooked off to the left. Mm-hmm. And then I started walking back up the hill to get back up to my co-worker when I could see him above me and he started running and then he started running down to me. And then I saw a rock rolling down a hill and uh, he uh, was out of breath. He was scared out of his mind, eventually spit out that, you know, he asked me if I heard something. And I said, no, I didn't hear anything. Then he says, oh. I told him, I said, I saw the rock that you kick loose. And he goes, I-, I didn't kick that rock loose. It was thrown at me. I was like, what? Oh, said, yeah, yeah. I, I heard this. And I looked up and then next, you know, this rock oh. is being hurled at me. He says it wasn't oh. rolling down the hill. He had an arc to it and it landed within 10 feet of him. And then that's when he started running. Wow. So I went running up to where the rock thrower was and there, I couldn't find anything. And eventually at the end of the day, when we were walking back up to up the hillside to the truck, he was scared out of his mind and he wanted to know what threw that rock. And so he, any track that he <laughs> found, he had me look at it. And then eventually we found a 16 inch track. And I said, Ooh. there's your rock. thrower." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then we made it back up to the truck. It was dark. He was in the truck and ready to go. So I waited for it to see if it was following us. And uh, it didn't. And I got to the truck and then he started asking me a bunch of questions. And he goes, and the biggest question that he had was, 
what happened back there? You said they don't hurt people. And I said, they usually don't. And it took me a while to think about it. And I told him, I said, what did you do when you got to that rock slope? I said, you hurled a couple of rocks down the down the hillside. And I told you something was down there. And so, and I told you, he was on a full run and then he hooked off to the left. He went right back above you. I mean, he watched you throw those rocks. I didn't throw any rocks. And then he went right back above you and he said, you're not going to throw any rocks without me and get away with it. He says, I'm going to get you back. And so that's why he (laughs) hurled that rock at you. (laughs) (laughs) It makes sense. Wow. Before my encounter, I had heard stories when I was really little. I come from a long line of rock hounders. So, you know, I always heard different stories from family members and everything. And, oh, I was so scared. And I got to the point where I just wanted to to sit in the truck. (laughs) I didn't want to get out. Then eventually, as I got older, again, I it was really interesting because I heard wood knocks come from the forest behind my house. And it was always at sunset. And I never knew what it was. And what was really strange to me at the time, being a kid, is that, and now it makes sense after what we've just discussed, I would be sitting there and I would hear it and it would go knock, knock. And I would clap my hands and then it would do one knock. Then I clapped my hands twice and then it did two knocks. And it was so like at the time I'm going, what is this? I'm in my room, but it's repeating after me. There was like, a psychic connection between me and this whatever it was at the time I didn't know and now that I know what I know it makes me think was that what it was and was there really that psychic connection and then getting into the podcast world I didn't really want to listen to the stories because I was scared and I wasn't ready to go down that path yeah because of of the similarities of everybody's encounters to yours yeah yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And so now it's been incredible and and I'm walking into this experience and I'm walking into these stories and I'm blessed with being able to talk to people like you. It's been incredible to go from a believer to a a knower. We uh, you know, like I said, I, they would announce by wood knocking that I was in an area. And one incident incident we were camping out in the woods for work. And like you said, right at sunset, you know, you heard the knock. And Mm -hmm. somebody that is attuned to all this knows what's going to happen next. So (laughs) my coworker that was with me at the time, I told him, I said, we're going to have visitors tonight. And I hope you're prepared. Mm. Within a half hour, they surrounded our camp. And there were four and possibly five around our camp. And you could hear them lightly wood knocking. You can hear them whistling. You can hear them whooping. You can hear them mumbling. They were communicating back and forth. We were camped in this uh, meadow, and uh, so they were in the tree line and didn't come into the meadow. Mm. So mm-hmm. they were announcing where they were at and then possibly their intentions of the ones that were closer to us to come into our area. I've right. learned after a while to put my camps in certain ways by blocking off. I've had the tents touched. I've had the tents pulled. I've had tarps pulled off. I've had all kinds of Mm. different types of encounters with them. And when I don't want that, then I'll set up tables or I'll set up barriers so that I'll limit their go around me. And uh, I will direct how they will come to my tent. So I used my coworker as bait when he set up his tent initially (laughs) over by the timber. And Uh I tell you what, he was not a believer of Sasquatch Bigfoot. 
that night. But <laughs> that night he became a believer and he thought I was wow. messing around with him. And then he heard me roll over in my sleeping bag in my tent. And then he knew it wasn't right. me that was messing around with him, that he was actually <laughs> having Sasquatch experiences. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Wow. This hour has gone by so fast. Oh, has it been an hour already? I guess <laughs> yeah. <it> has. Yes. <laughs> One thing that we didn't cover is that you had a friend uh, that was also with you that had a unique experience that also had something to do with the story that I shared about. I was told that if I didn't change my ways, that it would try to attach itself, not just to me, but to family members or somebody mm -hmm. close by to get back what it wants. Right. And, yes. And so it's something we haven't covered, but that's one of the rules that people got to understand is about taking items of theirs uh, if you know it's theirs. And then, you know, just be careful out there. And the biggest thing is, is absolute respect. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's so powerful. And again, this is another reason why I wanted to have you on so much is because I love how you talk about your experiences. For you to share that with all of us is so it's a gift, really, because now everybody else, anybody who hears this episode, now they're aware and now yes. they know to be respectful. Now they know how to proceed. Now they know that you don't take from them and you also need to announce who you are when you are in their home. Yes. Well, so, said. yes. Well, thank you. You've gifted us so much. <laughs>
Deep is designed.